The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Astrology reveals insights into the greater world, its changing cycles and universal forces. Through the lens of astrology, we examine special topics and current events, investigate their meaning, and discuss solutions to personal and global problems. Welcome to Astrology, the theory of everything, with Mary Jo Weavers and Janie McCarthy. We're here to show you how astrology can be a powerful tool for self-awareness and transformation. You'll be amazed how everything is interconnected when using astrology. Now, here are your hosts, Mary Jo and Janie. Welcome and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. And that reaches around the world from Dubai, the Philippines, Russia, Australia, Europe, China, and of course the United States and others. I'm your host, Janie McCarthy, along with my guest, astrological historian and social commentator, Jessica Mary. She's a professional astrologer and has authored two books, Soul Sick Nation and At the Crossroads, an astrologer looks at these turbulent times. And most recently, which is how she came to my attention, she has a fabulous article in the December-January Mountain Astrologer that's entitled Years of Reckoning. Jessica, welcome and Happy New Year. Thank you very much, Janie. Very pleased to be here. We're thrilled. So today, Jessica and I are going to investigate a key determinant in how we experience our world, our relationships, and of course ourselves, and specifically, what changes when we perceive our existence through a lens of scarcity instead of abundance. So, Jessica? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering, oh, the first thing I did want to do just to take care of some housekeeping is uh, let's honor and out the elephant in our mercurial room. We happen to be pre-recording the show during a Mercury retrograde in Aquarius, and the show is then going to air while Mercury is in retrograde in Capricorn. So, interestingly enough, I happen to feel synchronous synchronistically blessed with these circumstances because Jessica and I are intentionally wanting to review, rethink, revision, and re-speak our current fear-based perceptions of scarcity. And hopefully, um, we'll leave you with an alternative view to consider, one that truly anticipates and trusts our collective ability to co-create abundance. What do you think, Jessica? Well, that's that's a pretty grandiose but magnificent goal, <laughs> and I'm totally with you on that. Great. It I'm certainly sure. has to do with our thought forms, you know, our ability to envision it. Most definitely. So, 
Let's begin our conversation. Uh, let's look at the history of our collective memory regarding our sense of never being enough, never being good enough, and whether we're thinking about our perception of the availability of the world's natural resources, water, food supply, job opportunities, college openings, financial mm-hmm. resources available to immigrants, and ourselves as being flawed. And Often thinking of ourselves as not enough and that I believe there's an underlying assumption of resource inadequacy and an unwillingness to share resources in a word scarcity. So, um, Jessica, how does this idea of scarcity and not enoughness enter the collective psyche? What's the history behind all that? Well, I would see... It is connected to an imbalance of Saturn. The planet Saturn is an archetype that has to do with scarcity, but that's the shadow side of Saturn. You know, if we look at the planets as being little packages of symbolism, not that they cause things, but that they are archetypes that have meaning, we would say that they're neutral, they're value neutral, Saturn, just like all the other planets, is neither good nor bad. And when it's misunderstood, this is the way I would frame it, when the whole archetype of Saturn, the planet of lack, is misunderstood, then we have trouble. So I would interpret as an astrologer, as a transpersonal astrologer, not a predictive one. I would interpret your comments just now as, as an example of the way modern civilization as a whole is manifesting a spiritually immature Saturn, not an assimilated, mature Saturn. And so it comes across as too much Saturn. It comes across as, oh, Saturn's the problem. In other words, scarcity and lack are the root of our problems. That's seen through the lens of a culture, maybe a whole human race at this point in a revolution that that hasn't learned what Saturn really means. And I think this goes back 5,000 years, roughly. <laughs> I see this as a long epistemological development, right? We can see it with the advent of monotheism and what, what astrologer Robert Hand has called the, the big daddy religions. The Abrahamic religions. They are very Saturnine. And what I think, you know, happened around that period of human history about 5,000 years ago is that the gods became Saturnine as a symbol of the fact that human thinking started to stereotype the Saturnine archetype. By that I mean fixed, simplistic caricatures of the planet Saturn. Am I making sense? Absolutely, and I would agree with you. I also would add that our collective memory around the history of what kind of a world we live in has been created um, and recorded by men. 
Mm-hmm. It's only very recently in human history that women have had any say, particularly collectively, yes. in what our perceptions are of what a, the world's about. This is, the, you know, the evidence in astrology of that is that the symbols were all male except for two. Until very recently, we only had the moon and Venus. Mm-hmm. And that just is a case in point about how the human imagination was so young, heavy. Mm-hmm. So the bias that glorified the masculine principle and submerged the feminine, we can see it even in the way that modern astrology, you know, suffers from this imbalance of well, the I... male-female archetype. Yeah. I also came across some research that surveyed the millennials, the 18 to 34-year-olds. And um, by the way, they also happen to be one of the most uh, interested in astrology age groups. Is that right? Yeah. And what the survey said was that 80% of them had a goal of becoming rich and 50% of them had a goal of becoming famous. So this... Doesn't leave much else, does it? Honestly, this speaks so strongly to what we've already mentioned around having such a masculine-defined value system in the civilization. And, and Saturn is, you know, your emphasis on the, the Saturnine even more than just the, the Mars. Both of them are termed malefic mm-hmm. in old-fashioned astrology, not because they're intrinsically bad, again, but because mm-hmm. of this, this bias that is based on imbalance. It wasn't always like this, you know, I don't think, with self-aggrandizement lording it over nurturance and public benefit. And uh, the the um, book that changed my life was Rianne Eisler's The Chalice and the Blade. Are you familiar with that one? Um, share that, will you, with us? With Rianne Eisler is this wonderful archaeological historian who who brought out, geez, it must be about 35 years ago, this book, The Chalice and the Blade, which is kind of um, her view of how the patriarchal value system got instituted, how the world became a place to conquer, which is related to the political systems that were the offshoot of that. Imperialism became the global norm. And it was all the acting out of this young gone wrong business, but that she makes a very persuasive case historically about how it was not always so. Well, I, in, in contrast to the millennial study, I came across a TED Talks very recently. The gentleman's name was Robert Waldinger, and mm-hmm. he was sharing the results of the Harvard study of adult development. This was a very impressive study. It's been running 75 years since 1938, and already um, they still, and it's still in process, they have uh, over 80, 90-plus-year-old men still participating. They're asked questions in, and, oh, by the way, the sample is 724 strong. Mm-hmm. And it's very unusual that such a large sample be tracked so consistently for such a long period of yeah. time under the, the um, guiding of 
the same group of organizers. And Mm -hmm. this extraordinary study, once and for all, contradicts that mankind perception that wealth, power, and fame make us happy. What this study actually showed was that it's in that a good relationship being in a good relationship right. is what keeps us healthier mm-hmm. and happier longer Relatedness. which is very much a feminine mm-hmm. uh, val- based value they system found this than yang of depressed old people depression that to have the close bondedness emotional bondedness which is totally feminine exactly and you know we could go back even get even more esoteric and and all-encompassing with this theory if we look on the psycho-spiritual level. Saturn, the planet of lack and scarcity, it governs separation consciousness in general, mm-hmm. which we, you know, the transpersonal astrologists see this as guiding, presiding on the earth plane, thanks to the human ego. If you look at things spiritually, separation consciousness is uh, another phenomenon that Saturn teaches. And when it's in imbalance, we get the ugly side of it. And every two and a half years, when Saturn changes a sign it's in, we get a different picture of separation consciousness. For example, right now, Saturn is in Sagittarius, the sign of religion and ideology and belief systems. And so the most, mostly horrendous manifestations of, of that placement right now are coming at us through those means, the religious separation consciousness. And people are expressing this, spiritually speaking, it's a fallacy, right, that right. we are separate they are expressing it socio-politically, and it manifests as racism and classism and the us-them mindset. Yes. So astrologers are watching the big square that's going on in the sky right now between Saturn and Sagittarius and Neptune as being the marker of immigration policy and the role of the church or the temple or the mosque and the fear of foreigners, it, it's easy to track when you look at that square. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, in uh, your studies, Jessica, have there been earlier times in recorded civilization when abundance replaced the experience of scarcity? Well, it's interesting you, you use that qualification of recorded history because it's Eisler and the, the feminist historians who who work with that material, talk about recorded history as sort of being the marker mm-hmm. that divided the yin era, Paleolithic, when we see the great goddess statues, you know, the so-called Venus of Willendorf, the fertility. They call them, the male archaeologists call them cults. <laughs> fertility cults. These thousands of year long, millennia year long um, evidence of kind of what we call circular thinking, the feminine mm-hmm. way of seeing the world, which is based on the commune 
communality. And, you know, they sort of denigrated it to the Venus of Willendorf. You know, these great mother <laughs> statues that you find. There's a, a faceless, tiny little head, and then great breasts and a pregnant belly. <laughs> well, this was the mother goddess. This wasn't some minor fertility cult. Honestly, so, yeah, I think denigration is the right word, too, Jessica. I think it's relatively recent in human history. Relative to how long the human species has inhabited the Earth, 5,000 years is nothing. And that's, you know, what we can roughly use as the time when history started to be written down, that the the male-centric, the phallocentric, the young, heavy um, norm began. So do you think that also put us on a or started us on an evolutionary trajectory away from conflict and uh, away from collaboration mm-hmm. and more toward the yang preferred competition conflict yes. model yes, that's right and mars and saturn sort of um began to rule the sky mm-hmm. you know in the another wonderful thinker here is Demetra george she mm-hmm. talks about the really the pre-ancient, the aboriginal face of many of the planets, for example. The archetype of Juno used to be the mother of the sky, the queen of the sky. And then when the classical period came in and the masculine sensibility started to take over, she became a mere wife. And the king of the sky was supplanted her who became Jupiter. And a disrespected wife. Disrespected, the jealousy and the nonsense of the myths. Betrayed. If you look between the lines of those myths, as she does brilliantly in -hmm. her study, Asteroid Goddesses, Mm -hmm. she talks about how you have to dig, but you will find that the aborigines of those myths showed that it was a a goddess-ruled society almost everywhere. And um, also in the article that I mentioned in the introduction in the Mountain Astrologer, you also talked about 2020, Mm -hmm. that it will mark a fresh new beginning. Can you tell us about that, what the opportunities might be that are ahead of us, particularly in moving more toward a philosophy of abundance? Yeah, well, I think that um, 2020 is a very big deal. There's a lot of different transits going on all at once, stacked up like a stack of pancakes. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, that puts the yellow highlighter around a certain a certain set of dates for astrologers. But, you know, I also want to put this into an even bigger context, the way that somebody like George does when she reminds us that and something you were saying a minute ago, that there is a gradual, over thousands of years, I'm talking about, divergence from the communal, the relational, the feminine sense of unitedness that we could call the, you know, the feminine consciousness. There's a divergence from that over thousands of years, and then there's kind of a peaking out of the imbalance. And then, gradually... If you look at millennia in a big enough scope, you see that there's nowhere to go but going back towards the feminine. And I see this as meeting sort of what Joni Mitchell was talking about when she said we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. 
Love that. You see these Garden of Eden myths in every culture, everywhere on the earth. The Christians were only one that had this picture of some kind of a golden age when there was peace, when the lion laid down with the lamb. This is the feminine sensibility that we're talking about. And it seems to be to show up in these legends in the symbolic form. It seems to me to refer to an actual historical phase. And if you think about the way nature works, these aren't just random ideas we're, we're picking out of the air, but there are always cycles where imbalance tends towards balance again. And so the imbalanced masculine that we're in really in the throes of is, I believe, inexorably going back to balance, but this time at a higher level. We're, well, we're evolving, but we're not going back to the garden in the same kind of, you know, spiritual naivete that we were in it in the first phase. We've learned something. And I do think that the age of Aquarius is about the beginning of glimpsing that. You know, mm-hmm. January of 2020 uh, is just a, a tiny little blip on the way there. I was blown away. I uh, checked out January 13th, 2020. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount, the quantity, the compelling energy of Capricorn is yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, uh, we've been talking about Saturn, but hopefully a version of Capricorn that's new and different. That's right. It's a chance to get back to the higher level of Saturn. Mm -hmm. The higher At the top of the chart. Say that again? At at the top of the chart. Mm -hmm. At our greatest, at our highest level. Mm -hmm. And so, what collective karma needs to be burned off well, in order for us to achieve that balance, that rebalancing? That's really a good question. I do think that's what it's about. Because when we look at all these cycles that are beginning in early 2020, it means that right now, before we get there, we are finishing up all these cycles. We're in the waning quarter of numerous planetary cycles, which means that we're sloshing around in the rinse water and things are kind of chaotic and murky the way they are, for example, every month at the dark of the moon. You know, there's an analogy there. Mm-hmm. So the lunar cycle, you know, every the few days before the moon is new are supposed to be traditionally where you can't see you're needing to clean up or at least identify the karma of the cycle that's ending. And that's where we are right now until 2020. So I think that explains a lot of the confusion. But our work until we get to 2020 is to look at the cycles that are ending and try to be honest about them. For example, the Saturn-Pluto cycle that, you know, is now in its last dregs. This is very important to look at. The, the stuff that happened when it began in the early 80s and identify, and then the, the kind of things which came to a head at their opposition, which was in 2001. That's like the full moon of a cycle. In this case, we're talking about the relationship between Saturn and Pluto. 
but it's, it has the feeling of a full moon. That was 2001. And the kind of the, the military events and the, the violent patterns that came to a head then, which for Western civilization started with 9-11, you know, and Pluto clearly took the upper hand, and all of the, the types of world events that 2001 is known for, that's when the Euro started also. Mm-hmm. Since then, there's been a disintegration of the whole economic reality in the Western world. And, um, you know, the, the corruption. It, we could go on and on and spend hours just on these, these points as a whole. But astrologically speaking, the work, if we are to, to glean the positive potential of 2020, the work is to identify now what you know, is the karma that needs to be faced. In other words, to take responsibility for the social patterns that started or that which failed to heal climate change and which caused the refugee um, crisis, which was mostly the Iraq War, but even that had antecedents, and the wealth disparity and the corruption in the banking industry, all these things which are so clearly we're mired in now can be tracked by the Saturn-Pluto cycle, which is now ending. Well, let's um, keep those thoughts in mind, and we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about Saturn's relationship to the outer planets mm-hmm. as you characterize it in your article, which, by the way, is brilliantly written. You make such great insights and synthesize the astrology with the historical societal experiences that we've had. It's a great read. I hope our listeners will make time to get to it. So we'll be right back. Hold on there. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Janie McCarthy loves being a professional astrologer. Her academic pursuits in consciousness exploration, negotiations, and relationship transformation have been critical to helping her clients integrate their material and spiritual worlds. She is known for her ability to simplify and articulate even the most complex concepts to trigger aha moments of pure, meaningful, and lasting clarity. Janie is available for booking presentations, workshops, and client consultations and can be contacted at JanieMcCarthy.com. Mary Jo Weavers is a licensed spiritual health coach specializing in soul personality integration, a certified karmic astrologer. Mary Jo uses the symbolic language of astrology to help her clients understand themselves and their life experiences from a deeper spiritual perspective. Mary Jo can help you gain clarity about your life purpose, relationship dynamics, and how to live your life more effectively. She is available for astrological consultations in person, by phone, and Skype. Check out our website at MaryJoWeavers.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
are listening to Astrology, the theory of everything. To reach the hosts or the guests today, you may send an email to astrotalkradio at iCloud.com or find us on Facebook at astrotalkradio. You can email Janie McCarthy through her website, JanieMcCarthy.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is your host, Janie McCarthy, with astrologer, writer, teacher, and social commentator, Jessica Murray. She's also teamed up with the Astrology University to provide webinars. And if you're fortunate enough on January 28th to be in the San Francisco area, don't miss her lecture, Sand Through the Hourglass, which the San Francisco Astrological Society is going to host. So, Jessica, uh, let's continue talking about the implications of holding a perception of scarcity instead mm-hmm. of abundance. Yeah. Your article in the Mountain Astrologer, The Reckoning Years, starts off by saying that Saturn represents the status quo, while the outer planets represent threats to the status quo. I I loved that that, uh, personification and actually saw these outer planets as a salvation Mm -hmm. to a old boy network worldview. Yeah, they are. Particularly if we look at Uranus's growth spurts, as you say, or Neptune's turning points or Pluto's breakdowns. Mm-hmm. So um tell me if you would, this Saturnian view of ourselves that's been fostering what you call a hyper concentration of power and wealth being the um basis of why we never feel like we've got enough or we're good enough. Um, So my question is, um, what if humanity's new self-perception was emanating from the outer planet's perspective instead of Saturn? What would change Mm -hmm. in our perception of ourselves, particularly during this highly mutable time in human history when we have an opportunity to rethink and recreate our legacy? Yeah. Well, the outer planets are the only ones that have the guns to to um, make breakthroughs in that Saturnine, that low-level Saturnine separation consciousness that we're talking about. That you know, that really manifests as fear. You know, it isn't really true that Saturn governs. Fear. That's a, again a misuse of Saturn's energy. But if we stay stuck, and the, collectively that takes the form, as you say, of a status quo that that stays stuck, then we need these outer planet transits to come by and butt up against that calcified mass mind and give us growth spurts. They're the ones that can provide growth spurts, but they're unsettling. And so they have this reputation, this notoriety in, in especially personal astrology. Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto have this notoriety of being difficult. And of course, I wouldn't argue with that, even in the best reading of it. But um, it's because of the, the lack of a big enough view. If we see, you know, what Bill Herbst calls civilizational 
astrology, which is really the transit of Saturn, as you say, with the outer planets. We're looking at whole centuries and millennia of the evolution of collective consciousness. And if we look at it that way, Uranus provides the spark of some kind of jump, some kind of abrupt learning curve. And Neptune provides a kind of a spiritual um, leap of consciousness. And that this is a point we should return to because right now Saturn and Neptune are exactly square. Mm. And Pluto breaks down everything that's corrupt. So it goes mm-hmm. to decay and, and rot and things which we think of as icky. So it governs corruption. It's the death and dying period of any, any cycle in nature or in civilization. So those three processes are not pleasant and not easy, but they're the ones that move the Saturnine status quo. They're the ones that get it to move. And they're the ones that are going to change, if we're going to change, mm-hmm. um, the separation consciousness and the, the fear-blocked reactions that we have. Now, I, I don't, don't want to give, give, you know, Saturn Saturn's association with scarcity. I don't want to give the planet a bad name. I want to reiterate that, you know, it's the way we've been using Saturn Right, it's been a perception that we've been we've been shown, we've been taught, we've been told is how mm-hmm. things work. It's and not the reality. Kind of a, in an evolutionary, in the mass mind, had to, almost had to go through, you mm-hmm. know, the, the counterproductive evolutionary survival urges where hoarding against famine became greed, you know, way back to the very beginning, and yep. self protection, which is a totally valid urge, becomes aggression, right. And the awareness of danger, which was very important to our ancestors, becomes this xenophobic fear, like fear of others, fear of refugees. So these are perversions of what Saturn means. So then, Jessica, on a motivational level, mm-hmm. um, talk, to, talk to us about um, how differently we can show up based on which perception we're coming out of. Well, the Saturn-Neptune square, this is the time. This is the transit that's breathing down our necks right now is the one to work on. That's, you know, transits are sequenced in a perfect chronology. So it's like the cosmos knows very well that we need this Saturn-Neptune square to, to get us a little more spiritually sophisticated before 2020 comes and the new Saturn-Pluto cycle begins. So we pay attention to what's what's happening now and what's in the airwaves. And the Saturn-Neptune square, I have a whole webinar on it in my, my website, mothersky.com, Saturn square Neptune, the crisis of faith. A lot of astrologers are talking about it because it's really the biggest deal since the Uranus-Pluto square was peaking. But let's think about, in simple terms, that Neptune is water, and Saturn is stone. And we know that water will erode stone, despite it being so hard and steadfast and seemingly concrete and immutable, right? It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The ocean is going to erode the granite cliff. And what we're supposed to be getting as a human species right now 
is that all the things that we think of in civilization as so sturdy and rock solid, like banks that are given the names like Gibraltar Savings. <laughs> Perfect example of this. It's like the folly, the hubris of imagining that our institutions and our constructions don't follow the immutable laws of nature and of the universe. There's kind of a teaching here that individuals can get into if they, this is not easy, but if they can wrap their minds around balancing the planet of stability and order, which is Saturn, with something far more mysterious, which says that flux and chaos are are also the name of the game, and that's Neptune, without being spooked by Neptune. Because it's when Saturn is is reactive against the Neptunian tide that's coming in. That's when we get the problems. And if astrologers are talking, of, you know, predicting terrible things under this Saturn-Neptune square, it's because of people not understanding. It's because of people reacting against rather than responding to the Neptunian threat. You know, on a personal level, let me just cap this idea off with a, a specific. Sure. If the square is prominent in your chart, in an individual's natal chart, and the person's acting it out unconsciously, you get paranoia. Mm -hmm. You get a terror of the person's carefully erected rules being swept away. The rules are Saturn. The sweeping away is Neptune. And so this is a classic in natal astrology that a person freaks out when there are little routines and devices that she thinks is keeping her life safe are up against some life event that symbolizes total loss of control. But the spiritually sophisticated way of experiencing that is to realize that it's a correction. Mm -hmm. that her little routines and rules and regulations needed to change and that there is a certain letting go that had to happen. Well, the, what is uh, always so amazing to me is that the reality is, and on a philosophical level, people will agree, everything changes. Mm -hmm. Everything it's the basis of being organic. It all changes. We change. Everything mm -hmm. changes. And you're and right. Yet, on a philosophical level, nobody denies it. But exactly. we don't really live as if it was so. Exactly. And when change is resisted, the yeah. old saying goes, um, whatever is trying to come in persists. Yeah. It, it draws it. It draws it in more intensely. Right. And the... Reality, which uh, is uh, a lesson I hope we learn more and more from Saturn, the reality is that when we bend with, when we allow, when mm. we find meaningfulness in what is trying to come in and change and refresh the status quo, which, oh, by the way, has been for such a long time filled with genocide, abuse, mm. and and terrorism now, um, mm -hmm. things that are the 
most inhumane side of humanity as opposed right. to the humane side. What wants to come in and what wants to change is for our higher good. Yeah. There's so and many of us that understand that and believe it, and yet, on a daily basis, even we sometimes fall back mm, into a right. resistant stance. Well, that's why the goddess invented transits like this, mm-hmm. because each mm-hmm. of us is going to get, under the Saturn-Neptune square, a our own version of the sea of refugees, if you want to put it that way, because the three outer planets that you were referring to, Uranus, mm-hmm. Neptune, and Pluto, are all a distinct form of tremendous change. Uranus is radical change that comes from a new idea. Neptune is the sweeping change that comes from the oceanic flux that, like you say, is the nature part of the universe. And Pluto is the evolutionary change that happens when things die and have to get reborn in a new form. So whenever any of them form any angle up in the sky to Saturn, and we can look at this on an individual level in our charts, something happens that stimulates that primal threat of change. And the answer, the the beauty, the ability to see, to ride this wave and to go through this transit gracefully, comes when you see it in this bigger way, the way you said, which mm-hmm. is change only comes when you have to have it. Otherwise, you'll die of rigidity. Mm-hmm. That's the, the resisting the inevitable. I was talking to a girlfriend today. Uh, she and, and she mentioned that there have been times in our collective human history, when shocking change has hit us. And there are Mm -hmm. times when, as a humanity, we respond with grace and support and collaboration, Mm -hmm. as we did when 9-11-2001 came into our lives. Right after it. And it's, it's encouraging, it's hopeful, when we see that mm-hmm. even when change has to be so dramatic, so right. painful, so fearful, that we can still rise above those right. fears and act like humane human beings well, instead of inhumane that, yeah. human beings at times when the world lived with the the experience of the Holocaust, even still being denied in some parts of the world, where it wasn't bad enough for people to be so incredibly abusive to other people, but there were parts of the world that refused to admit it was going on, right. which was a, uh, a form of support, even though passive. Astrologically, that's Saturn, too. Shadow Saturn is denial. Mm-hmm. And you can see why, because it's like digging our hoofs in when we're refusing to make that evolutionary leap of higher consciousness that the outer planets are, demand- are demanding. You know, from the perspective of transpersonal astrology, Saturn is the gateway between the realm of the inner planets and that of the outer planets. You know how that planet used to be called the ring past knot? Mm-hmm. So it divides one category of consciousness from a more advanced category. 
well, I love looking at Saturn like that. It might not be a responsive no, but maybe we can start looking at Saturn as a responsive not yet. Right. And the thing is, you have to already have mastered the rules of Saturn before you can get to those exalted, rarefied states, which is a way of saying that until we accept the limitations, for example, understanding how karma works, which Saturn governs, then we're not going to be able to do all these fancy things of consciousness, like the Uranian genius and Neptunian enlightenment and Pluto transformation. We're not going to be able to get there unless we first grow up, and Saturn governs maturity. So what would it look like for us to grow up so we would be advancing human evolution and accelerating the abundance of consciousness? What would humanity as a collective look like? What would we look like individually? Well, the, the collective idea, let's get as broad as we can, start there and then winnow down more specific. The, the idea on the, in terms of the way human race is evolving or not, here we are stuck in this particular 2,000-year block of time we're in, starting the age of Aquarius, at the level of mechanistic materialism, which is the normative philosophy of life that the modern world subscribes to, which is that the earth plane, you know, physical matter, is more real than all the other realms of matter, the one governed by water, which is intuition, the one governed by fire, which is action, and the one given by air, which is ideas. I mean, this is very broad, but um, we're stuck in that. We're stuck in mechanistic materialism, and the quantum physics, for example, has completely refuted it. Exactly. It's gone beyond the, the old laws of, of physical matter, and, but we have to understand the limitation in order to get beyond it, in order to really get that everything is energy, um, Saturn, Saturnine maturity has to be in there. Now let's get more into the realm of the individual. To be able to take responsibility, this is Saturn on the individual level. And we understand perfectly well. That's, we know what, when we call people immature that we're talking about in astrological terms, a person who hasn't integrated their Saturn. Everybody has a Saturn in their chart. And about three decades in, into a given lifetime, that Saturn comes to the place it was at when we were born, and we call that a Saturn return. And it's the famous threshold that we cross that, in theory, divides immature consciousness from real maturity. And it hinges on the idea of taking responsibility. In other words, we expect children not to do that. And astrologically speaking, we can't really take full responsibility until we're average age 29 and a half. You know, we may be, have precocious, you know, gestures towards it, but in theory we can't until Saturn has come back to that place and we've understood and integrated the laws of time and cause and effect. And then, after that point, we get to be graded by different Saturnine rules. And if you look at, um, you know, people who can't balance their checkbook even after they're 30 years old, right? 
<laughs> they're having problems integrating Saturn, but they get transits of Saturn, which teach us, you know, sequentially how to keep trying to grow up. And an astrologer would point to those transits in order to familiarize her client with how to grow up. But on a big, you know, collective level, it's a, the example at hand would be how to take responsibility for climate change, how to take responsibility for the Earth's natural resources instead of squandering them like a collective teenager. Am I how about sense? how about how to take responsibility for not bankrupting not just our country but the world? Yes, cause and effect. This is yes. an example of. Uh, spiritually puerile culture that rewards actually literally young people these days who, you know, kind of are celebrated for their puerility, for their immaturity. The whole hoodie culture has things about it, in other words, that glorify the youthful, um, you know, trappings of that culture almost in the most superficial way. And so this is a real problem integrating Saturn. It's an example of something that's going on underneath. Mm -hmm. We can't do that now because these transits coming up are too critical. We're really kind of at a threshold as as an Earth. We have to take advantage at a higher level of understanding of each of these transits coming up. Well, one of the things I'm going to be doing more and more on an individual level as an astrologer is looking at one of the aspects. It's a minor, harmonious, 40-degree aspect called a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it referred to as the astrologer's divining rod and the stargate to talents. Mm-hmm. And the its ability to unlock and use catalysts toward that move us towards self-enhancement. <clears throat> Do you have them in your chart? I have quite a few. Mm-hmm. And when they really get activated, you have mutable energies being touched. Uh, and particularly Jupiter, anything in Sag, the fire signs, and, and as I said, the mutable energies. And I have a novel that connects my Jupiter in Capricorn in the 8th to my moon in Aquarius in the 10th, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. which is conjunct my midheaven. Mm-hmm. I want to look at that a lot because mm-hmm. novels for everybody, at everybody's chart, they reveal an unrecognized talent or skill and uh, a charisma, a mystical force that is filled with latent karmic details and potential for spiritual growth and social responsibility. Mm -hmm. Exactly what we're talking about. Plus the fact, in terms of releasing and burning off karma, it can help us acknowledge and release past lives that still hold Mm -hmm. us in servitude. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely going to take a better look at that. Well, it's all about, you know, it's about adjusting our attitude, and I think that we're 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 making this one of the themes of our of our session here is that none of these transits and none of the natal aspects in our charts either are to be faulted. Mm-hmm. It's about if we adjust our attitude appropriately, every one of them could be a spur to growth and a spiritual exactly. exercise. And well, every I one can't... of them is t- 
timed just perfectly, moreover, to, to give us exactly what we need for our growth at that moment. It's just about waking up to it. Exactly, and very well said. I can't thank you enough, Jessica, for joining us today. Oh, you're so and welcome. again, I, I hope people will look into your two books, Soul Sick Nation and At the Crossroads, and check out your website at mothersky.com. And <clears throat> let me entice our listeners to join us again on uh, the airing of our next show on February the 15th when the topic's going to be our astrologer collective and as a collective where are we headed and what did we come to do I'm going to have a very popular return guest Jessica Adams join us plus Victor Oliver from the UK and Joanne Madeline Moore from Australia and we want to talk about where our entire collective of astrologers is headed, what kind of work we have to do, and how we can be of help in modifying all these changes that we've been talking about in moving toward a more conscious and abundant society. So thank you again, Jessica. Thank Um, you. Thank you, dear. And if anyone is interested in contacting me directly, you can do that through my website, JanieMcCarthy.com, or through LinkedIn or Facebook. And uh, anytime you want to be in conversation about the topics that occur on my show, just tweet me at hashtag AskAstrologers. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Happy New Year to everybody. And Jessica, blessings to you, dear. Bye. Thank you for being part of the show today. Please join Janie McCarthy and Mary Jo Weavers again next month for another edition of Astrology, the Theory of Everything. You can listen to all our shows on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. May the stars be with you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 